and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. And this week we're on the run with Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> we watched The Running Man from 1987. But before we get to that, were you on the run this week? Um, no, actually I was very stationary. And running is bad at my age, you know. I think of Jim Fix, who wrote the running book, who just keeled over dead after running his entire life. Oh. While he was running, I think. That seems bad. Yeah, it's sort of like, yeah, he loved the thing that killed him, which is... But, anyhow, how was your week? It was fine. Also, no running. I'm not a runner by nature or trade. So, (laughs) (laughs) pretty stationary. I've been embroidering. Oh. I'm making a beetle. Your hands, your fingers. Oh, yeah, and I've been dealing with some, uh, what's it called? Is it like arthritis or might rheumatism? Be, it might be or an those arthritis. Are, those are illnesses for people my age. <laughs> no. Is it rheumatism? That's, uh, <laughs> yes, I have to that. say it loud like I can't hear myself. It may be arthritis. It may be uh, repetitive stress. It's finally better. Mm-hmm. Both of my hands feel okay today. So, hooray for us. Is that the best we can hope for? Um, my hands feel what okay. I'm going to hope for and... And take when I can get, yeah. All right. So The Running Man. The All Running right. Man. The Running Man. Which is a dance, right? It is, but not yet. Okay. So let's talk book before we talk movie. All right. So when was the book written? The book was written in 1982, released in 1982 as a Bachman book it's uh-huh. under the name Richard Bachman. It was released as a novel and then later in the compilation The Bachman Books. Mm-hmm of which there are four. Uh, those would be Rage, The Long Walk, The Running Man, and Roadside. Nope, Road Work. <laughs> I'm like, that's not what it's called. It's called Road Work. Uh, and I always thought that this was The Long Walk. You like got I, too confused. I got them confused. Uh-huh. So, And in the novel, let me just give you an overview of the novel right. that is very different from the movie that we watched. So the novel, in the novel, it's set at a slightly different time. Uh, it's 2025. Uh, American uh, America has become a totalitarian dystopia, as in many a novel. Mm. They're getting down to be YA novels, most YA yeah. novels. Ben Richards is a poor resident of the fictional co-op city. Uh, he has been blacklisted from his trade. He has a gravely ill daughter named Kathy. She needs medicine. His wife, Sheila, has resorted to prostitution to bring in money for the family. In desperation, he turns to the Games Network. So he is an unemployed man who turns to the Games Network, to, uh, which is government-operated television that runs violent game shows. He has... Res- vi- after. Mm-hmm. I, <laughs> rigorous and vigorous got stuck... And then neither of them came out. That's what she said. <laughs> um, gross. Physical and mental testing. He selected to appear on The Running Man, the network's most popular, lucrative, and dangerous programs. So this is what happens when you get on The Running Man. Mm-hmm. You are declared an enemy of the state and released with a 12-hour head start before hunters. An elite team of network-employed hitmen are sent out to kill you. You earn $100 per hour that you stay alive and avoid capture. An additional $100 for each law enforcement officer or hunter you kill, which is wild. Mm -hmm. And a grand prize of $1 
billion dollars if you survive for 30 days. So already we know that money is not worth anything if you're okay. going to give away a billion ass dollars. Does anyone ever survive? Uh, let me keep, let me let me mm. finish up. Viewers can receive cash rewards for informing the network where you are because you can go literally anywhere in the world in that 30 days. The runner is given $4,800 and a pocket video camera before he leaves the studio. He has to videotape two messages and mail them back to the studio for broadcast. If he neglects to send the messages, he'll be held to default and will stop accumulating prize money. Okay. Uh, but will be continued to be hunted indefinitely. No contestant has survived long enough to claim the grand prize, nor does he expect everyone to anyone to ever do so. Well, when you have the entire world mm -hmm. going, he's over here. Um, so Richard simply hopes he will last long enough to secure his family's future with the prize money. So, uh, in the book, everyone dies. Let's see. Right. Da, 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 oh, da, da. The book ends with a plane crash killing both Ben Richards and Dan Killian, who is the, um, head of the network. All right. Um. So and he, he but he breaks breaks the survival record, which was eight days and five hours. That's not very much out of thirty days. It is not. Okay. Which is why Killian is so. Mm -hmm. That's why they can offer a billion dollars right. <laughs> because there's no one's ever going to do it. So that's the book. That is not the movie that no, we no, watched no. at all. Um, and let me briefly say that um, in a interview later, Stephen King um, describes Ben Richards as a pre-tubercular. Uh -huh. He's basically the opposite of Arnold Schwarzenegger. All right. So, because they've decided to make a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger, they've had to change, yeah. drastically change what happens Well, they changed movie. it into an action movie. Was it much like that in the book? Um, I'm sure it was. It's mm -hmm. a dude on the run, right. and people are trying to kill him. So, yeah, I assume that, that it's action-y. But he's also just a dude. Mm -hmm. Whereas Arnold Schwarzenegger is Mr. Universe. Right. Okay. You know? Right. So, in the movie that we see, it is oh, we open, it's 2017. It's, as stated, a totalitarian uh, dictatorship, uh -huh. fascist Government doesn't sound familiar at all. Well, it's we have to wait to 2019 to get that. Uh, ben Richards is a helicopter pilot, a police officer. Uh, he is ordered uh, while flying a mission to open fire on food rioters. That's about 1,500 people in the city of Bakersfield, uh, women and children largely, who are rioting for food, and he refuses to do so. So he is. Um, overtaken by his comrades and is and they go ahead and open fire. 60 people are killed and he is made the scapegoat. Uh, they are told or he, uh, everyone, they mm -hmm. everyone is told because the news is run by the government that he is the butcher of Bakersfield and he defied orders and opened fire on so the, he's taking the fall for the government's. Yes. Uh, so they are uh, getting lack rid of, of him. Services planning. Yes, they are getting rid of him, and getting their way mm -hmm. at the same time. Uh, I really don't know what they would have done if nobody had 
fought back. Right. Because they they ordered him to kill all those people, and he'd just been like, yes, sir, doing my duty. I don't know how they would have spun that, because they definitely I'm spin sure it would the be a action. attack or something. Something like Maybe. Maybe that's right. Uh, but, yeah, so the government's bad. And so he's in prison. And then it's two years later, it turns out. So it's 2019. We are in the present day, folks. Buckle up. There's a lot of aerobicize. There's a lot of big I, hair. I would have known that aerobicizing aerobics would have come back. Yeah. It's, uh, it's real 80s up in here for a movie set in 20. It's not even like, I've seen many things that mm-hmm. were futuristic from the 80s. Right. This just feels like the 80s, but right. in 30 more years. <laughs> um, and he breaks out of prison with two buddies. Yafit Koto is one of them. And who's the other one? I don't know. We thought that was Jesse Ventura, but it was not. No, it was another man entirely. Harold Weiss and William Laughlin. Those are the characters. And Weiss names. is oh, Marvin McIntyre. I don't know who that is. Okay. So mm-hmm. two buddies and and him break out of prison and he um Well these two buddies are revolutionaries and he just wants to get out of prison. Right. And okay. they want to use like he's very strong and very fit mm-hmm. and fast and, and he, well he has special training. Yes. So they're like, Well, we'll take you with him and then they uh go to the the underground area well, of the to, city. Yeah. Like the like the black market, market area, market of the hall, city. the black market hall. I think. Because they have uh, explosive necklaces, right? So they have to get those off, or their heads might pop. Nobody wants that, and they manage to get them all off, and then what? Then what happens? I'm like, well, well is this I, is where he picks up Maria Conchita Alonso? Well, that's right. He tries to go home, mm-hmm. but weirdly, his house isn't his house anymore because he's been in jail for two years. Or he goes to his brother's house. That's what right, it is. His brother's house. He goes to his brother's house, and his brother is not there because it's been two years. And he finds, yeah, Maria Conchita Alonso, who looks so much like. What's her name? Shiora? Annabelle Shiora? Annabella Shiora? Yeah, I, I guess because I knew one before, I don't see it, but I, I guess, yeah, you could see that. Um, in, th- in this specifically, because normally I don't think mm-hmm. she looks like her, but she really looked like well, her. Well, maybe it was a matter of styling for a period of time. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, who is, uh, well, it, there's some confusion. <laughs> she seems to be a person who writes jingles for this massive government controlled network. That's what she says she does, right. but I don't. It doesn't seem like that's what she actually does. She does to the extent that she has access to the government building later on. Yeah, she works. I, it's just a weird job for her to have if she still has to wear the uniform and right. whatnot. It's odd, but she says she's a composer for ICS, who's the uh, network mm-hmm. that bro- that broadcasts Running Man. And he basically takes her hostage as they're going to try, and they're going to try to escape because he is a wanted man. Now, at the same time as he is a wanted man, his uh, 
his escape is being aired on television, and our villain, Richard Dawson, who I wanted to call Richard Donner for a second, that is it's a, director. a different person, Richard Dawson of the Family Feud fame, <laughs> sadly, um, is sees him escaping, and it's like, that's what would liven up my show. And he, what his show is, is this version of The Running Man, which is sort of like a deadly American gladiators. Y'all, if you don't know what the American gladiators are, I am sorry. But um, do you know what American gladiators are? Oh, yeah, I saw okay. the first episode. Um, this is where I developed a, josh, a crush on uh, uh, Gina Carano. She was an American Gladiator way back in the day. That's wild. Which one? Um, I'm, let me look her up. I know that that was the first place I saw her, and I thought, who the hell is she? And then, of course, it turns out later on that she becomes... I did not know that. That is new information. martial artist and kickboxer and action star. Also, my internet has totally stopped working, so I don't know if yours will work. Um, so, this is a live television show done in front of an audience, two audiences... Uh, one's in like a VIP locker room area, which I think is just a bar that's called the locker room, as far as I could tell. Uh, and uh, the other is um, live in studio. And they get to choose the hunter that chases down the runner. And the runner, um, like the whole point is get him, kill him. Mm-hmm. Kill him fast. And each of the hunters has like a like a gimmick. <laughs> right. So there's one who is a, full of electricity and he is opera-y. He's dressed like a giant baby in Christmas lights. It's very odd. And then there's also... Uh, Sub-Zero, the hockey player. Yes. And, and that is your... That was your favorite one, right? right? And the buzzsaw character, who I don't know exactly why he's riding a motorcycle with a buzzsaw. And then uh, Fireball, who's the guy with a flamethrower. Flamethrower, played uh, by Jim Brown. Yeah. Um, now, when... Okay. Before Ben... Okay, first of all, we need to discuss the fact that the man named Arnold Schwarzenegger is playing a character named Ben Richards. They changed almost everything about the plot of this movie. I don't know why they didn't also just change his name to be something that someone who sounds like Arnold Schwarzenegger might actually be. Right. Also, Maria Conchita Alonso is playing a woman named Amber, so probably not. Give her a good name. Well, what she's is... Amber Mendez, so... Like, I mean... I guess that was a concession. Fine, but also her name would not be Amber, Amber. and his name would not be Ben. Stephen or Ben Richards. I keep calling him Stevens and I don't know where it's coming from. Ben Richards. Um, so they could have very easily changed that. So he is told, We've got you, and we he's captured, first mm-hmm. of all. He's captured by the, the TV company, and Richard Don- Donner gives him an ultimatum. Now, Richard Donner is very it's first of all, it's Richard Dawson. Mm-hmm. Richard Dawson, whose name is Damien Killian. 
because why wouldn't it be? <laughs> well, it's directly from the book, right? No, it's Dan Killian in okay. the book. No, they they just went full demon kill. Demon kill. Okay, there we go. <laughs> on this movie. So this character wants sees the escape, sees how physically fit and what a fighter this dude is, and it's mm-hmm. like we definitely want him. And immediately the people around him are like, we never get military prisoners right so the the idea here is they are all prisoners that are on the running man it's not just people off the street they are prisoners but they are not trained in any way uh and that was sort of a a rule but he he gets his people out there and gets ben richards and basically propositions him and says look if you well let me go back a second in the airport, as they're making a clean getaway, as who's making clean? Arnold Schwarzenegger okay. and his and Amber, his right. hostage. She just stands in the middle of the terminal and screams, "This is Ben Richards. I'm being kidnapped, or something, basically." And then he is apprehended, and she is seen as a hero for, you know, as long as the. Network is fine with her. Right. And um, then she just goes back to work the next day. And he's given this proposition that if you agree to be on the show, we will let the two guys that escaped with you go because they have captured them as well. Mm -hmm. And so he is like, well, I don't have anything to lose. In this movie, no kid, no prostitute wife, which good, actually, because... Fewer women in peril need to be the impetus this for men. enough without that. Yeah. <laughs> I think. Yes. So he says, okay, I'll do it. He signs a piece of paper right before they go on air. They put him in a spandex suit. So, yay. <laughs> I guess. Because it's the 80s version of the future. Spandex is everywhere. Uh, Amber goes back to work and he's going to do the running man competition. And as he's being sent off into this weird car tube to face the first gladiators, I'm going to call them gladiators. They're called hunters in the show, but for all intents and purposes, they're gladiators. Uh, He looks at Damon and says, I'll be back. Yeah, he does, guys. He really, really does it. He does his signature line that has nothing to do with what we're watching. But it's Arnold Schwarzenegger, and we hired him for a reason, and now he's contractually obligated to say, I'll be back. Um, And as he's being let out, it is indicated, or he has shown his two buddies who have been captured and are going to also be running. It's going to be all three of them. And the audience is very excited about this because he has been framed as the butcher of Bakersfield. And... So they think he's a cold-blooded killer, even though he is not. Uh, and they've seen him break out violently break out of prison because that was on the news. And now they're going to watch somebody kill him with fire or ice. Mm-hmm. And they're very excited about it because people are animals. Thoughts? <laughs> I think that... Um... It was a good idea to change it to the dynamic to or watching criminals rather than people desperate for money. Yeah, I think that's right. Because that way you can see an audience rooting to see a person that they believe is a pedophile or a murderer 
getting killed in really horrific ways as opposed to somebody who's just trying to make money. Yeah. Uh, I think that it, there's a real wrestling vibe to this movie. Yeah. And this was at the height of... Yeah, tell us about that, because you knew some of these people. I recognized, that... the, the first person that I recognized in the film was um, was uh, Professor Zub-Zero, who was played by Pro- Professor Toru Tanaka, which is not his actual name. He is credited, and I mean in the credits, at the beginning of the movie, as Professor Toru Tanaka. Right. Now, what is his real name? His real name... I mean, he changed it to that, so is that is Charles his Charles Kalani, name. Jr., he was a uh, let's see a football player, soldier, actor, and a martial artist. He he actually is a professor of Danzenru Jiu-Jitsu, which is a school of Jiu-Jitsu that was popular in Hawaii and is really damn dangerous. So he's a scary guy. As a matter of fact, in reading up on him, I discovered that I think it was Freddie Blassie, one of the the wrestling promoters at the time and and managers, said that in his prime he was the most dangerous person in the ring. He never did anything. His whole whole job was to play a Asian villain because Asian villains are popular. Oh. So he changed he, his stage name is Japanese. He is not right. And he teamed up with um, another wrestler. And this is how I remember him, named uh, Mr. Saito, who actually was Japanese. Okay. And they went around doing horrible things like uh, using illegal karate chops and throwing rice in your eyes or salt in your eyes Oy to vey. blind you. Oh yeah, that there was a time. Um, but I recognized him right away because he is a genuine martial artist and a very famous one. And he did lots of action movies with Chuck Norris and Jeff Speakman and other people for years. But everyone in the movie, I mean, we've seen uh, Jesse Ventura is in it, James Brown, Jim Brown, Jim who Brown. was an amazing football player. Yes. And actor who really blo- broke the color line back in the day. Yeah. Um, the guy playing the giant baby... I recognized right away, but I couldn't remember his name. Erland Van Lith? Who Erland was Van an Lith. amateur wrestler and opera singer. Okay, then that's why they yes. made him that character. And the first time I saw him as a kid was the movie... Um, I'm glad that there's a reason that he had that weird gimmick. Yeah, it was a weird one, I admit. And he was... Uh, he Yeah, he, he was an opera singer, and he... The first time I saw him was in a movie called Stir Crazy with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor, where they get locked in a prison. Um, they're mistaken for a, a pair of criminals, and they get locked in a, a southern prison, and he plays a guy named Grossberger, yes. who is really, really scary, because he's something like six foot five or so. He's, he's enormous. a very big man. Everyone in this movie is a big man. Um, six, six. Right. And he, uh, in, there's one scene in the film where Gene Wilder is, uh, they're alone in a cell and everyone's kind of like hanging out and singing and to themselves like you do in a prison. And then suddenly he bursts out in this amazing song with a really angelic voice and you're just staring at him like, where'd that come from? He also attended MIT. Oh, yeah. I can believe that. So, Yeah. There's a lot of unexpected stuff in this movie. Um, that dude is this dude is wild. Yeah. So he attended MIT, was mm-hmm. a student and a member of the wrestling team, accomplished opera singer, uh, and then he was a teacher. After he was in, he was in four movies, mm-hmm. and then he was a teacher, and he's also a member of the Dutch noble family, the Van Lith de Jude. Well, all, see, it reminds me. Uh, there's a story about. He's like a baron. Richard or a baronet. Widmark, right? 
mm-hmm. Richard Widmark uh, was doing a movie with John Wayne on the Alamo. And it was John Wayne's first acting experience. And later on, when he was asked about that film, he says, I don't think John Wayne liked me. And why not? Well, he likes really big guys. And he watches movies. He's constantly acting. His co-stars are these big, huge, stocky guys. That's basically what he felt comfortable with, guys like him. And this movie is kind of like that. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger and Yafit Koro, who also is uh, related to the Crown Prince of Cameroon, uh, which is another odd one. Um, and, and I was have... wrong. He didn't, he didn't teach after. He te- taught during his acting career because he passed away in 1987. All right. Like, right as this movie was coming out. He was young. He's like 34. Oh, that's a pity. It's a pity he passed so young. Woof. Weird. Okay. Yeah. Who, Yafet Koto is a person with a very interesting name. Well, yeah. His father was from Cameroon. He was a oh, okay. member of the royal family. That makes sense. There. And he has a really interesting lineage. He's a practicing Jew, um, like his father. And it sort of, he talks a lot about how that made it hard growing up. But Yafet Koto, big guy. Six um, four. Jesse Ventura, professional wrestler, Jim Brown, football player. Yep. Um, and then Sven Olaf Thorson, who is the guy in the background who's... Uh, oh, yeah. Richard Dawson's security. Yeah, he's security for the building. And I mentioned that he was a friend of Arnold Schwarzenegger. He appeared in 15 of his movies. Uh, just sometimes as, you know, the big hulking villain, sometimes as... You know, and he's a dude that makes Arnold Schwarzenegger look small. He's huge. Now we yeah. got to keep in mind, the actual living height uh-huh. of Arnold Schwarzenegger is five foot ten. Right. So he's not that big, y'all. He's not he's, that tall. He's not. The, yes, he's, he's not big. that tall. He's big. <laughs> not tall. But he's not tall. Um, but he's yeah, my height. So Thorson, uh, the strongest man in Denmark, and. Uh, Black Belt and Shotokan Karate. Like, these are all just big, 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 strong guys. And so there's an awful lot of flexing in this movie. And I sh- we should say, too, um, the place where, like, the, where the underground is um, mm-hmm. on the outside has a bunch of musicians. Uh-huh. The dude that's running it is Mick Fleetwood right. of Fleetwood Mac. Dweezil Zappa is in there. Right. Um, and they come up in, the, in later. They're the revolutionaries. They're the people that are right. You and know. their their whole lair is, I guess, and the the field for the the Running Man is apparently what's left of Los Angeles after a major earthquake. Yeah. And it's all a wreck. So, um, but yeah, I, I I myself wouldn't have. I think they shoehorned a lot of familiar faces to the '80s action crowd mm. into this movie. Because I would not have put a man as big as Toru Tanaka on ice skates. I think that was a waste yeah, of his character. Yeah, well, that character. was the thing. When when we f- see Sub-Zero, who is the first hunter to go uh-huh. after uh, Ben, he comes out on skates, on ice skates. They're uh-huh. on a hockey rink. And I just looked at you and I was like, is that Professor on skates and you were like no <laughs> well, yeah it was just sort of a waste because there's so many other ways you could make that interesting about putting this enormous man into like putting his double in a huge padded suit and having him loaf around it's obviously not him but it was kind of and a waste garroted by ben and barbed wire yes right. um there's a lot of a lot of 
deaths as each of the hunters fails to capture Ben and a lot of really bad one-liners. Yeah. And things that don't make sense. It's inconsistent. Yeah. Uh, in the very beginning, they have to kill Sub-Zero. He and Yafet Koto stretch some barbed wire around his neck and, and garret him. Later on, um, what is uh, the um, uh, Dynamo, which is, I'm not even at Erland. Yeah. Uh, he's trapped in his automobile. And uh, Ben refuses to kill him because he's not a killer, but he well, just Well, no, killed. no, no. He won't kill a helpless person. Right. And Dynamo has tipped over. He's trapped in his vehicle. He right. can't. He doesn't have use of his arms. But And Ben is like, I'm not going to just kill this guy as he's actively not. He's taking the position that all police should take, which is right. this person is of no danger to me. And therefore, I don't need to kill like him. It seems like he's drawing a weird line. Like, that guy... It is will, a weird line. Yeah. <laughs> it is a weird line. Kill him all day long. This other guy, let's not kill him. And this guy, we're going to kill him definitely. You know? And there's this this other sort of subplot where, where the two guys that he's running with mm-hmm. are members of this resistance, and mm-hmm. they're looking for an up, uplink code mm-hmm. to... T- Take over the broadcast's right. capability? Because what we discover is that there's a heavily altered, uh, I was going to say video, but that would be appropriate to the time, of Ben Richards killing the other men in the helicopter. Right, but that's not what they want anything no, 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 for. What, what, what I'm trying to get at is that the government controls all the news yes. and routinely alters the news yes. to fit their ends. So yeah. what they want to do is capture the signal so they can broadcast the truth to people because they're watching a heavily, what was the term you used? Deep faked. Deep faked, yeah. Version of the news to everyone and sort of not just damaging people's reputation as much as actually setting up enemies of the state in people that are not enemies of the state at all. They're just people. Right. So I guess we find out Sub-Zero is the first time that a stalker or a hunter mm. has ever died on the show. Um, Amber is at work, but she sees um, a video of the uh, of his capture at the airport mm-hmm. and and sees that it's been heavily fucking doctored. Like, mm-hmm. she was there, and this is not what happens. And so she's like, oh, maybe he didn't do what they told him right. to do. So she sneaks into the footage room to find the original 8-track, is what it looks like, of the, uh, the massacre. Mm-hmm. At Bakersfield, and you then see the original thing that we've seen, which is... It's hard for me to even say that (laughs) with the straight face. The Bakersfield Massacre. Let's hope we never have to, actually, thank God. And she takes... She grabs the Mm -hmm. original footage, and then she is captured Mm -hmm. and turned instantly to uh, an enemy and is released into the game. Now, what are her charges? Uh, I don't... She's no. sexually promiscuous and had relationships with more than two men in a year. Oh, that's right. And it was just ridiculous. But that like, wasn't charges. That was just this is this is us letting you know she's right. a bad lady. But really, she's Stockholm syndrome or right. whatever for this dude that she met and knew for twenty five minutes. <laughs> that she's her she or she's having a reputation smeared with promiscuity yes. is one thing. Yes. The fact that promiscuity is so comparatively tame, what she was supposedly, how promiscuous she was, right. makes it just kind of ironic and funny. But again, remembering this is the 80s. This is the... 
80s era conservative backlash yeah, against Yeah, I guess so. so. Yeah. And that becomes um, an important point. She ends up meeting up with uh, Richards and his buddies. And then they split up. Each pair is per- per- pursued by a different stalker. Buzzsaw um, chases uh, the two guys that... Wait, no. It's Laughlin and Richards are together. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Laughlin is killed, but Richards kills Buzzsaw using his own chainsaw on him. Ooh. Weiss and Amber locate the uplink, learn the access code, which I also remembered because he said it over and over again because he was like, you have to remember this. And so Amber is like, oh, I got it, I got it. And I thought it for sure at the end she was going to fuck it up. But you guys, she's actually pretty smart and doesn't fuck it up. Also, she's a composer, right? Yeah. Codes, yeah, that's true. So Dynamo finds them, kills Weiss by electrocuting him because that's his whole jam. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but Amber screams lead uh, Ben to her and they get away. His buggy flips and mm-hmm. as he's laying there helpless, the cameras are on him and people are like, kill him, kill him. And he's like, I'm not going to kill a helpless man. Which then, of course, confuses the audience. Like, well, you just killed right. 60 helpless people who just wanted food or whatever. And um, then he goes back to his buddy, Laughlin, who is not all the way dead. That's Yafet Koto's character. Uh, and he says that we've got, there's a resistance hideout within the game field. Mm-hmm. You got to go find them and give them the uplink codes. This is a MacGuffin of the highest order. Like, it's... Mm-hmm. Take them the codes. They need the codes. They've been here the whole time. The code is a literal six-digit number. Mm-hmm. And yet, we have not been able to crack it. Take them the All codes. the best minds are working at this full-time. And they yes. can't crack the six-digit number. I well, would like to say... The co- well, the uplink codes are kept on the game field. And they have a <laughs> base on the game field. And... As long as the game's not active, there are no people on the game field, so what are they doing? I I, I would like to point out that my (laughs) 20-year-old son works at a locksmith shop, and he unlocked a TSA lock that had the same number of digits in about 15 minutes just by trying every available combination of numbers. One, 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 two, 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 one, two, two, two. Right, he just did this for 15 minutes, unlocked it. How they do not get, you know, the best minds are working on this. It's really, it's not the best minds. It's Sweezel Zappa, no offense, dude, but you were also, like, 17 is what this movie was made. So, so now we've got our mission. She's got the uplink code in her head. She doesn't ever tell Ben what it is, so she better not die. Back on set, Killian is seeing Richard's popularity growing. And all of a sudden, because they ask the audience to to pick who's going to do the next kill and who is going to go out and chase. And the audience starts turning and they're like, Ben Ben Richards is going to get the next kill. And they're like, mm-hmm. well, you can't do that. And the audience member's like, I can do whatever I want. And I bet that it's Ben Richards. And then we see the bookies outside taking bets. And and the whole thing is shifting. So Ben's right. getting everybody on his side uh, out in the world. So he's becoming the figurehead the Resistance wanted. Yes. All right. Uh, and then... Um, Off-camera, Richards appears 
on a TV randomly. And, or not bet, no, Kelly, Killian does, two Richards, and says, Hey, I see what you can do. I, I know a star when I see one, kid, and you're a star. Come be a stalker. Come work for me. And Ben is like, Eat a pile of dicks. I will not be doing that. And then Fireball is sent in, and that is Jim Brown, who I really like watching. Mm-hmm. He's always good. And he chases them into an abandoned factory where Amber discovers. All these dead people. And who are these dead people? These are the previous Running Man winners who are supposed to be living on an island in luxury. But they're not. They're just corpses now. Oh, no. Yep. Moldy, moldy corpses. Victory was fate. Fireball goes after Amber. Richards rescues her. Kills him using his own weapon and also a road flare. Road flare is dangerous. Yep. So, then we've got the host kind of desperate. He's like, uh, all my stalkers have been killed, so I'm pulling Captain Freedom, who is Jesse the Body Ventura, out of retirement. Because he has basically been our MC, mm-hmm. And he almost acts like the man on the street guide in the people's court. Right. <laughs> like, he's well, not... He also, there's a... He doesn't get pulled in to it because he has some sort of higher notions that this was a special game. And I don't know where he's coming from because we haven't gotten enough of his character to understand why he throws this kind of noble fit at the end of the of the story, I think. I don't recall that much of a noble fit. Right As he's getting dressed, he's like, all of this, this armor is crap. Right. This dude's killed four people. I'm not fucking going in there. Well, but he also does, this seems to be a game of honor, and it kind oh. of makes it, and then Richard da- uh, Dawson calls him, uh, said something about his zen uh, fit. But, yeah, it's like, I didn't understand where we were going, because up until that, he's participating, and then suddenly he's like, no, no, no. No, yeah, but he's like, he knows also, he's mm-hmm. like, if I go in here, this dude's right. going to fucking kill me. And frankly, I probably deserve it. So, right. uh, no. So instead they get doubles, body doubles, of all three of mm-hmm. them, and stage an end game wherein uh, Captain Freedom kills both Ben and Amber. And then that is what is put right. on air. Like, they cut the, the live feed and they play that on air. So then... The house wins. Now, Ben and Amber are still out in the in the game zone, apparently not being hunted by anyone at this point. And uh, the resistance finds them, and they are taken to the hideout. So convenient. And so that's uh, Mick Flutewood playing a dude named Mick, so as not to confuse him. Right, exactly. <laughs> and you have to make it simple. Uh, then they see the footage of their deaths. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and she gets super excited because she's like, well, let's just go. Everybody thinks we're dead. No one's going to be looking for us. Let's just go. And he's like, they're not going to let us fucking yeah. leave. Everybody in the country just watched us killed. They can't let our faces be seen. Or what they're doing is becomes clear, right? Yeah. And she's like, well, I have the uplink code. And she says the uplink code. And she goes, and also, I have this video. <laughs> and I did it first. And then they did it on the screen. I was like, 
where's this bitch been keeping this video? <laughs> because she was in a spandex outfit. And then he goes, Ben Richards, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger looks at this woman and says, where have you been hiding that? And she basically winks and yeah, she put it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> and what, she, what is your response? You don't get to ask that question or it's something like that. It's something like, I think yeah. it was something like none of your business, right. but then she like wink. Right. Like It's very clearly that this was in my vagina. Don't worry about it. Um, and it's at that point, the way that they're flirting is when I think Stephanie was like, these two definitely were having sex. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like these, these stars took it to the next level uh, off, off screen, uh, which I would, I don't know if that's true. I don't know what their statuses were. It was a long time ago, but it definitely seems like they were. Um, and then all of a sudden, Ben Richards is a fucking, he's Hannibal. From the A-team. He's got a giant cigar for no reason. <laughs> He's holding a machine gun like it's nothing. He's wearing his, a dad sweater. And he's like, let's kill these motherfuckers. And then they go back. And um, they split up. Richards goes back to the main room. And um, Amber is ambushed by Dynamo. But Dynamo, he's made of electricity. And so what can you do? You could squirt him with a with squirt water, and then he'll die. And he did. She kills him. And then Ben Richards walks in. Okay, first of all, we have to talk about a, another thing about the television show that is being produced, uh -huh. wherein for five-minute stretches at the beginning and every uh, commercial break, we are watching uh, Fly Girls. Basically, mm -hmm. it's the equivalent of Fly Girls doing jazzercise in aerobics outfits. They're just dancing, just so much dancing. And we watch so much of it. Like, I would guess that seven full minutes of the footage that we watch in this movie is these girls dancing. For what? Um, production value, fan service. It wasn't I, even I shot in a, like a sexy way. It was shot in a very pedestrian way. And most of this movie was shot in a pretty pedestrian way, which is a little bit of a bummer. And then, of course, Ben is like, I told you I'd be back. And then um, he begs for his life. He says that... Oh, uh, uh, Killian. Killian. Mm -hmm. He says, I only created the show to um, appease the love of reality television, televised violence, which is wild because this was written in 1982, mm -hmm. made in 1987. Reality TV wasn't a thing. It didn't really take off the way that we know it now until afterwards. N no, because it, I would it, say that uh, really, I mean, there were a couple of we're following people right. things, specifically in the, uh, in the UK in the 70s. Right. But it's the real world. The real mm -hmm. world is what started reality television, and that wasn't until the, I want to say, 91, mm -hmm. for the first one. Um, so this is uh, disturbingly prescient. Uh, we, this is Survivor if Survivor was what Survivor purports to be. Okay. Oh, 1992 is when the real world started. 
So but survivor is not survivor. Right. Nobody dies. But a survivor was like the last one alive is the one that wins the most dollars. Then we have the running man. Ben is left alone with Killian. Killian is like, um, I'm, you know, he tries to stick his security guard on him, mm-hmm. and the security guard was like, "Nah, that's cool, because you've been a dick to everyone, including right. me, for however long. I'm gonna, I'm on lunch or whatever he right. says, and then he bounces, and then uh, he gets sent to the game zone in a rocket sled." Which hits he a, doesn't get that far. He just gets he does it. He like, hits a billboard of his own face, right. and then it explodes, and then he dies. And then Richards, Ben, Ben and Amber kiss, and then walk out of the studio together, and that's it. They've saved the world, I guess. Killian is not the president, so he's not the end all be all of problems no. in this. Well, but this is hinting that there's a whole revolution about to take place. Um. So, the director of this movie was Andrew Davis. Um, no. Paul, Paul Michael Glazer was supposed to direct it. No, no. All right. What? Oh no! Okay, here we go. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Paul Michael Glazer was originally uh, asked to direct it, and he said no because there wasn't enough pre-production time. Andrew Davis was hired, but fired after two weeks because then they were already behind schedule by a whole week. And then... Paul Michael Glazer was hired back. Glazer was hired back. Now, who is Paul Michael Glazer? Paul Michael Glazer is Starsky on Starsky and Hutch. Now, we saw Hutch in Salem's Lot. Right. In front of the screen. And this is one of the great buddy cop shows of all time. They really had great chemistry. Because David Soul was very, appropriately, David Soul was kind of moody and quiet and loner, and Starsky was kind of loud and brash and sort of uh, arrogant and funny, and they they really meshed well together. Uh, He was a television director, though, and that shows in the way this film is shot. And I realized it is a huge pity that Andrew Davis did not get... to direct this film. Now, who was that? He directed Code of Silence with Chuck Norris, which is Chuck Norris's best movie, Above the Law and Under Siege with Steven Seagal. Steven Seagal, yeah. He directed The Fugitive with Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah. He, he would have been a, a bananas director, director for this. And, like, with... with uh, If you ever get a they chance... They didn't give this... So it wasn't even his fault no. that production was behind. If If the person who ended up doing it was like, there's not enough pre-production time. Right. Uh, Andrew Davis was like, yeah, there's not, and so I'm going to make it right. and make the so, movie that I want to make. And they were like, no. <laughs> there are action movie directors. There are horror directors. There are people who work really well with in particular themes. And Andrew Davis is a great action director. Uh, it is a huge pity that he didn't get direct this movie because I can see him doing all sorts of interesting stuff and fitting all sorts of weird themes into this film. Because if you ever watch um, all all those films, all the ones that we just mentioned, mm. have underlying stuff that he's trying to tell you. Code of Silence is mm-hmm. about Chuck Norris as a cop, and it really is his best part, who acts against uh, a police officer who's faked the murder of a young kid. He steps to the other side of that thin blue line. Right. <laughs> and as a result, they abandon him right when he needs help the most. And he really got a great performance out of him that mm-hmm. way. 
And he introduced the world of Steven Seagal, for better or for worse, in a bonkers, crazy CIA slash drug movie above the law. And then, you know, made his best film of Under Siege. Mm-hmm. So there's he's really good at action movies. He's really good at pacing. He's really good at, as you've seen The Fugitive, of moving things along really quickly. Mm-hmm. And having actual characters. Right. Having actual characters, adding touches to the movie to where just, there's just little details um, that really ground and center it. When he did... Uh, most of his films, or those early films that I mentioned, take place in Chicago, and the the, the uh, city becomes a personality to itself. All the different ethnic neighborhoods, all the stuff that's going on there, it's actually really very fun, and so it's a great pity. He could have done so much more with material. But now it's just really big guys in really poor lighting. Half the time I can't tell who's hitting who because they all look the same. Yeah. Just big muscular guys swinging on each other, and uh, it's just... It, it it doesn't come to life at any point. It really also I think now it mm. it um suffers from hey, I've seen this before. Now yeah. have I seen this before in things that have been made since nineteen thirty seven? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of it. Well, yes. Although No. There are films that borrow from this. Uh one of the best of these kind of dystopian movies, which is uh Battle Royale, has yeah. also has the exploding collars. Only there, because it was years later, you actually see the collar used on somebody, and it's terrifying. You remember that for the rest of the film. Here, it's taken off and thrown into sort of like a cement box before it actually explodes, so you don't get a sense of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I would like to point out, though, yeah. speaking as, as the resident historian, Nigel Neal, one of my favorite writers, the man who invented Quatermass in England, um, wrote Year of the Sex Olympics. That's a terrible title, and I that hate was it. Broadcast I hate it already. In 1968, and that was, to many people, the beginning of the idea of reality TV. Okay. It's about uh, a society that's divided between low drives and high drives who control the government media. The high drives create a constant stream of television programs that will keep the low drives, uh, keep them from realizing their situation in the world. You mean like the Kardashians? Right. So they create these television programs that are completely meaningless. They're mostly watching sex on television, or they're watching really horrible game shows. Right. The lead character with people getting hurt, probably because taking drugs, lots of recreational drugs, and the lead character gets some sort of wisdom after a protest at one of these TV programs, and tries to develop a real life show where people just live their lives, moves a family to an island. And the whole show is cameras all over, watching them survive on this island. And his producer thinks the show isn't moving along fast enough and introduces a crazy person to the island who then chases him around with an axe. It's a really good film. And Nigel Neal was a great science fiction writer and futurist. When I'm looking at Stephen King's work from this particular period, he's writing a lot of science fiction. Yeah. He gets credit for supernatural horror and for horror-tinged drama, but he writes a lot of science fiction mm-hmm. and he writes a lot of what... You could also uh, term crime drama. Yeah. It is a science fiction story. Mm, yeah, I guess anything that's, well, Cause it's a spoiler well, alert, right. it's probably aliens. Right. And it's not ever 100% flushed out as aliens, but it's probably aliens. Well, it's some sort of other form of life that isn't us, and it's not necessarily supernatural as much as it has its own rules. It's not indestructible in any way. But a lot of what he writes, when I'm looking at The Mist, or I'm looking at Carrie, 
these are science fiction stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I see that King also, who also respected Neil a great deal, Nigel Neil did a lot for science fiction in a really weird period when it was trying to get public acceptance. Mm-hmm. Um, he's writing a lot of the same kind of stuff. It's it's following almost the footsteps of H.G. Wells, which is, let me change one thing about society and see how all of it will change afterwards. So yeah, this film had like a lot. Purge. Yeah, this had a lot of potential to it, and it just doesn't go anywhere. There are some neat things, but like you said, it's very eighties. It's. I will say that uh, that chemistry between Schwarzenegger and um, Alonzo was mm-hmm. that. That's the last. That's her last name. Is real. Right. Like they oh, actually they're are. Into each they're, other. <laughs> they're into each other, and there's a line that Schwarzenegger delivers that's like genuinely funny. Right. Where. Um. After they're back together or whatever, and she's like, ugh. We should have just gone to Hawaii, which is where he they right. were trying to get to in the airport when she freaks out. And he goes, I had the outfit, but you fucked it up. Because <laughs> he was wearing this really right. obnoxious really? Yeah. Uh, Hawaiian outfit. And just, it's a very off the cuff, like it's the, I think it's, it might be the realest the I've ever seen Arnold Schwarzenegger right. be in, and I was like, that is a thing that that man would say. Right. I believe it. It's funny. And it was like, it was, it was mean, but like in a ribbing way. Right. And it was just, it was, it was a really this is something disarmingly good line in the middle of the, I was like, I have to rewind that. that watch people don't, he's actually very funny. He's very charismatic. And that's kind of what made him such a big star in the first place. Wasn't so much the movies because he made fun of his own movies all the time. But he. I think he's aware. Right. Of The fact that he looks like the incredible, is. inflatable yeah. man. But what worked in his favor was his interviews, where he was just really funny. Um, I remember when he did Predator, he did an appearance on the Oprah Winfrey show, where he's flirting with Oprah. He's flirting with members of the audience. A woman raises her hand just to hear him say her name, so he looks at her and goes, Sophia, Sophia. And it was just, he was hysterical. He totally knew how to play to an audience. He totally knew... Which what is, I mean, was. that's how he won Mr. Universe, right. too, is because he also knows how to fuck with your head. Right. Because he really fucked Lou Ferrigno because he should have won that. Right. And he got in Lou Ferrigno's head. Yes, he did. And he won and Mr. Universe pity. right it's out from him. Which is a, re- okay, I just learned about this recently. Uh-huh. I am I am parroting something I heard on another uh-huh. podcast. But then I watched some of it, and I was like, oh, he fucking played him like a fiddle. Right. <laughs> like, I remember didn't stand a chance. watching Pumping Iron. And also, another thing, Arnold Schwarzenegger was not, had never been like another guy you can think of. Jean-Claude Van Damme did the same thing. Understood that part of his appeal was to gay men. Oh, And yeah. so he never did this kind of... You know, I'm afraid he of homosexuality. He threw that term around, though, but it was right. also, what, 1977 right. or something? Where... There's a scene in Pumping Iron where he's doing an exhibition at a prison, and one of the guys threatens to, like, or asks if he can have a kiss, and he's like, oh, I've heard about you guys in prison. Not now, while well, the cameras are on. He's, just, he's like, gotcha, he's yeah. playing into it, but he understood that that was part of his appeal, and it's... 
He he's like, yeah, that. these people are going right. to be a fan base for me, right. so I will not. And he said that. Also, I, right. I fuck what I want to fuck, well, so he, I'm he not really worried his, about people being concerned with my. He mentioned in sexuality. one of his interviews, I go to the beach to look at girls. Some men come to the beach to look at me, and it's fine because it's the same thing that I'm doing, only right. with somebody else. It's like there's nothing to be ashamed First of. First of all, just... no one's going to mm-hmm. attack me. Right. I, look at me. They're, right. Like, if I don't want somebody to do something to me, they're not going to do something. Yeah. He doesn't have to have any kind of fear, right? right? So that's right out. Mm-hmm. Think that I'm gay all you want because I'm getting whatever tail right. I want Whoever that and is, that's what made, don't worry about me. My masculinity is going to be just fine over here. When he had to defend the Republican position when he was governor about a uh, gay protest, he sounded so half-hearted and his excuses were so stupid that he immediately dropped it and apologized because, like, I can't toe the line here. This is stupid. So, um, but anyhow, yeah, it's like he's really funny. He gets along really well. He knows his Yes, audience. also he has uh, some problematic issues with... Yes. I don't yeah. know. We're not <laughs> with his own personal life yet. and also with his politics. Right. So I'm not saying that he's above, but he's su- su- like he was surprisingly real in a few scenes in this that right. I'd never seen before, and I was just like, "Well, this is kind of an that's 80s a nice. Thing. It's it's um it's WWF wrestling. Yeah. It's." Uh, solid gold dancers. Yes. It's, there's a scene, there's a lot of, I know that we talk about it sometimes, male gaze. Maria Conchita Alonso is in the beginning of the film. There's a lot of butts. Like lifting, not lifting weights, or doing some sort of She's exercise. Doing, it looks almost like Pilates, but Pilates was not on, a thing. In her, what appears to be her lingerie. And yeah, she's lacy. wearing a negligee to work out, right. which, okay, um, you do you, girl, it's your house. People are constantly, not constantly, there's a couple of times that people make comments about her ass. In the course mm-hmm. of the movie, and we see a lot of ass in this film. Now, There's mind a lot. You, There's there are many many a butt. Mind you, we just saw a film today, Hobbs and Shaw. Yes, which is a modern action. There film. was also a lot of butt in that movie. There was a lot. There's scenes where they just be just open on a woman's butt in a bathing suit. But then later, mm-hmm. there was also a lot of rock butt. Right. There were a lot of close-ups on his ass too. Not as many. It's funny because I didn't notice them, but then again. They weren't for you. They weren't for me. They <laughs> so were for somebody just else. Washed right over you. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there's a lot of. So the action movies really haven't changed that much. No. We do get something different in that in the film that we watched today. Um, there's a whole discussion about consent. Yes. Which and, never, not once in the right, 1987 film. In this film, there's a point to where um, Richards is walking by. Uh, Amber and her friend who works with her and the friend is like fantasizing oh that man could have raped you he could have killed you and raped you he could have raped you and killed you there's nothing you can do to stop a man like that but yeah. she's not saying it she's not she's fear. like she's drooling wouldn't it be right. fucking cool if that dude raped you right. no first of all and I'm going no. I'm looking at that going that was that would not fly anymore mm. but um, but also the idea that the, that's the only thing really that's changed. We're still getting the cheesecake stuff. We're still getting the, but there's a whole different, thankfully, sexual dynamic now where we don't have to have scenes like that anymore, which were just gross and uncomfortable. Also, the fact that the opera singing giant baby was trying to rape. Yes. Her all through the, the, he makes two appearances in the film. Mm-hmm. Both appearances end with him trying to rape her. Well, one of them ends with him being right. caught in the I car. Mean, he caught in the car, but this is his motivation. 
And what I liked about the second time that he attempts this is that she kills him herself. Yes. She does not. She's not waiting for somebody to to save her. She doesn't. No. Um, I also like the idea that she went full Latina at points and she's just muttering to herself in Spanish to anybody who's grown up in the Latin family will know what that is. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's, that's, that's genuine. So I like the fact that she was representing as, as strange as it was in this weird, weird film. Yeah. Yes. So it was a movie. So what did it you feel about bad. it? It wasn't bad. It was entertaining. Uh-huh. It is a, of its time, very much of its time. The effects are, you know, bad. Well, They're not good. But as I said, I think that it could have been so much more if they had just mm-hmm. put more care into it. I think it was like we were talking about over the last few weeks that... Stephen King's name was selling everything, and you could at least break even with a Stephen yeah. King movie, no matter how much money yeah. you spent. So, I mean, it's it's a fu- like it'd be a fun watch right. to do like a, a movie night with friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could make a drinking game out of it pretty easily. I bet every time he gives a really bad one liner, and it's almost looks as if directly. Yes, it's like he's practicing it. for the right. Mister Freeze role. They're throwing them all... He's, he's throwing so many out there. He is. Every time somebody dies. Now, mind you... It this, is true. He There is a tagline right. to every death, which is a I choice. <laughs> James Bond, right? From Russia with Love. Sure. Rosa Klebb has a poison spike that comes out of her shoe, and she tries to... He stops her at the end of it, and then Sean Connery says, she had her kicks. I think that's what invented the throwaway tagline after the villain gets killed. And then later on, he did this in the beginning of Goldfinger, and then it just became a thing that action heroes do, the throwaway line, and it might actually have been invented by Sean Connery. So these throwaway taglines, some of them were pretty, I mean, they were grown-worthy, all of them. But none of them is as bad as the taglines to this film. So let me read you some of these. There are five from IMDb. And some of them don't understand how taglines work. So this one's not bad. The year is 2019. The finest men in America don't run for president. They run for their lives. That's not bad. That's actually weirdly accurate. I know, right. <laughs> also, Finest men no longer run for president. And and there's a another one that's basically like that, only it's where mm. the best men don't run for president. They run for their lives. And then we've got a game nobody survives, but Schwarzenegger has yet to play. That's divided into two full sentences, mm. neither of which is a full is it sentence. Like full sentence. So the sentence starts with "but." It's a game nobody survives. Period. But Schwarzenegger has yet to play. Period. Neither Didn't you of just those. Take a but, and it would communicate the same thing. Well, no, because the but is indicating that he. Or you could put an ellipses between will, the two. It's just it's not I'm two just, sentences. I'm sorry. I'm just okay. Then we have. <laughs> Then saying, we have a play on uh, the, on the previous. It is the year 2019. The Running Man is a deadly game. No one has ever survived. But dot 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 dot. They're like six dots. That's too many dots, y'all. Yeah. Uh, Schwarzenegger has yet to play. So yes, you could do an ellipsis. Well, I don't. This is an ellipsis, but yeah. yeah. This is like I don't know. And then finally, 2019, a game nobody survives. This year might be the exception, which well, that gives everything is not away. cashing in on right. the Schwarzenegger name. So that's The Running Man from 1987, based on a Bachman book. You cannot find a new copy of the Bachman books 
unmolested, mm-hmm. we'll say, uh, because uh, after the Columbine shootings, uh, Stephen King took one of them out of print. Uh, Rage is no longer being printed, so the Bachman books, uh, the book of four books, is mm-hmm. not being printed anymore. Um, but you can find it in a used bookstore, I'm sure. And The Running Man, you can buy uh, individually as a story, but I did want to point was that out. Was there a novelization of it as well? I'm curious. I'm sorry? If there was a novelization of the film. Why would there be a novelization? It happens sometimes, the f- where the film is significantly different from the I've never material. seen a novel-to-film-to-novel oh, yeah. thing. I have seen a, a film-to-novel thing, but it didn't usually have a starting thing. I, not that I'm aware of. Mm. It did have video games. Oh, well, I can see that. It had video Hopefully games. Hopefully better lit. Um, in 1989, a video game based on the film was released for the MSX, ZX Spectrum, Commodore 64, Amstrad, oh, CPC, Amiga, and Atari ST. I have to, a Commodore 64. Yeah, Commodore 64. It's 1989. The game was uh, developed by Emerald Software Limited and published by Grand Slam Entertainment. The 1990 video game Smash TV was also inspired by The Running Man. So, uh, yeah, not no novel that I can see mm-hmm. other than the original novel. There uh, was there have been novelizations when they ran out of James Bond novels, right? Okay, well, yeah, yeah, they because were because it didn't right. start as a no, written no, but, work. But what they did is that, for instance, The Spy Who Loved Me was a short story that had nothing to do with the movie, and the movie was so radically different, they did a novelization of the movie as well as the original short story. So That's confusing. Like that How do you know what you're reading, then? I, that was it. Based on a, an idea by Ian Fleming, so our characters, I, I, we've sold those. I, we've, the both of us have worked at bookstores. I've worked at used bookstores for what amounts to two decades. And I've only ever worked at a new bookstore. But, yes, we used to. I would find them sometimes going... You wrote a novelization of a film of, of a, a novel. short story or That's a novel. Wild. That is very Stop weird. Stop doing that. People, yeah. there are better things to do. Um, next week, we are watching We skip the year 1988 entirely because there are nothing. There's nothing from 1988. Mm-hmm. So we're going directly to 1989 and a little film called Pet Cemetery, the original one. This is directed by a woman. It is. It is absolutely. I I think that that shows in the film. I know that sounds horrible, but there's no, a different well, sensibility. You, you can tell. Mm-hmm. Not. It doesn't mean. This movie was shitty, so it must have been directed well, by a woman. No, that's I, not what we're what saying. What I mean to say is that when you see Wonder Woman. Yes, go, and uh, Justice and League. Then Justice League, you go. One you're of these really was aware of the difference between the way a woman will see a group of women Amazons and the way a man sees a group of uh, Amazons in halter tops and lots of close-ups of Gal Gadot's uh, leather pants. Oh my right? God, I can't. Yes, there was too many shots on her ass during Justice League. The three minutes not, of that movie. Is yeah, like, I'm. I'm there's Give it a miss. Nothing to be said. Um. So. Pet Cemetery next week, the original, mm-hmm. not the one from this year. We'll get there, but not yet. Uh, the 1989 uh, movie starring, I don't know who's in it. Dale Midkiff, and I think the one really recognizable actor for audiences now, it was Denise Crosby, who was Tasha Yar oh, on yes. Star Trek Next yeah, Generation. Yeah, yeah. 
who is, I have to say, a beautifully sculpted face. You're just sort of looking at her going, wow, she really does look like she's carved out of something. Uh, Fred Gwynn, yes, who does a right. really good job, actually has the accent and all. Um, so it's I, I really I enjoyed that movie. I saw it not too long ago again, although I saw a television cut, so it's like things ca- I, I felt like there was, you know, back in the old days when you were watching a, a Super 8 movie and it jumps the sprockets and then starts again in a different scene. There was a lot of that, like, wait, wait, did I just miss something? Oh, yeah, and I actually don't know that I've ever seen this all the way through, so we'll see how it goes. Remember, Cemetery is spelled with an S. Mm-hmm. And no, that's not the way Cemetery is normally spelled. I always forget that that's not how it's spelled. But it's because kids wrote it. Right. Spoiler alert. They're kids. Also, content warning, child death. Oh, also... Pets and child death. Yes, there are animal deaths. <laughs> animal I, and child death, yes. I'm not really sure how that works, where we get... I mean, I understand that. There's some people who are very attached to their pets and things and are uh, animals and don't like seeing something that defenseless being killed. Yeah. It, so, it didn't do anything to ask for this, and yet right. this is what's happening. Uh, so, yeah, be aware of that. Um, and then we will watch that next week. Before we watch that next week, what do you think that our viewer or our listener should listen to and watch? Watch or listen to? Um, I think they should catch up. We've seen Stranger Things. We have. We are now catching up on Jessica Jones. Season three. The final season of Jessica Jones, which is developing some very interesting themes there's a lot we're of five episodes in dynamics between female characters which i really like is the fact that you have women talking to women about their own issues and the things that their their relationship yeah uh women talking to women about women i don't if you have not seen season two i won't spoil that for you because that's most of what they're talking about yeah but it is really from the very beginning, has been a show about... The first season was really about the exploitation of women by men. Yep. The second season was really about finding your place in the world through relating to other women. Yeah. And the third season is about women banding and family. together. Right. Family. Uh, women banding together to... Well, we don't know that that's what that's it's what totally going to be as about. As far as episode five goes, that's where we are. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's it's been a really great show and it's really well acted. I'm sorry, so sorry that this is not going to be a part uh, of our viewing anymore because I think it was taking I ended of, up, I think uh, with a positive feeling of these uh, Netflix Marvel right. um, situation. Right. It worked out really well. Um, but um, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying it, so that's what you're gonna. I'm gonna recommend. Recommend. What would you like to recommend? I don't know. <laughs> what did you? Hmm. Okay. I have been. I didn't mention it, did I? Um. So randomly, I've been wanting to watch. I've been wanting to binge things lately. Mm-hmm. So I've been looking for stuff that I missed, especially stuff that I missed that might be short. So last. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I watched all of Harper's Island. Tell me about that, because that was like that was something we should have covered for the show, almost. Almost, uh-huh. and we, yeah, no, um. I could see that being a season. Um, it's <laughs> it's campy and fun. It has a lot of uh, interesting people in it. 
that I've never seen since. They mm-hmm. all feel like um, CW people. Right. The show is uh, one season from 2009, and I had never watched it before. It's basically like a whodunit murder mystery right. of a bunch of people who are attending a wedding on an island. The um, The murders are very violent. It's very violent, but tongue-in-cheek also. So it's almost like black comedy. Or yes, okay. it's not done comedically, mm-hmm. but it's not done in seriousness either. It's a, it's a weird tone. And if you don't like it, you're not going to like right. it. So, um, yeah, and it's it's pretty soapy and teeny almost. I mean, they're, they're all in their 20s and whatnot, but it could, I could see this as like a, almost like a Pretty Little Liars prequel uh-huh. situation where they handle things with, I mean, it's, it's, sort of ramped up so much that it is ridiculous okay. without being comedic. I don't know. It's it's an it's a it's odd. But it, I, I enjoyed it. It's thirteen episodes. It's all on Amazon Prime. Mm. Uh and I watched it over a couple of weekends. So that was very good. And then the other thing that I would say is uh, also on Amazon Prime, the television show Forever, okay. which is a it, this is a black comedy with Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen. And um, Carol, Kevin, Kevin Keener mm-hmm. are the main three people in it. And it's about um, a couple who find themselves in a rut in their marriage. I don't want to say more than that. Because what happens at the end of episode one changes the whole dynamic for episode two. Mm. And then what happens at the end of episode two sets up the whole rest of the show. And so I don't want to say anything else. You said all that you really need to say because somebody who likes those performers is going to watch this. And it's worth watching. This is also, I think it's ten episodes and Mm -hmm. it's a half an hour long each. Mm -hmm. So you can blaze. I watched it. I think in a day, mm-hmm. I ended up just watching it in an afternoon. Um, and it's not huge performances. It's small performances. Uh, it's an interesting premise. And it's, and I love Maya Rudolph. I, I really could take or leave Fred Armisen. Mm-hmm. I recognize that he is talented at certain things that he does, but I have problems with him as a person. So, um, but she is great and she is the focus, I would say. Uh, so that's pretty good. And they also are not picking it up for a second season. It does end in a way that I am satisfied with and I mm. don't think needed a second season. So I'm kind of glad that they're not going to do a second season. Um, So that's that. And then the next thing I want to recommend is um, a thing that aired last year and is about to start airing again, which is The Terror, uh, which we spoke about previously uh, in a recommends uh, segment for the first season, wherein it was about The Terror, which is a ice chopping. It wasn't an ice chopping ship. needed to be an ice chopping ship. It was a ship trying to find the Northwest Passage that uh, did. basically disappeared a true story mm-hmm. uh a it was speculative a solution it was a speculative historical mm-hmm. uh story with um uh, very good writing and performances mm-hmm. in it 
they're releasing the second season is coming out. It is a it, they're doing it as an anthology type thing. So like uh, American Horror Stories is mm. a totally different story. The story is going to focus on um, the Japanese internment, mm. which is it's timely and very important. Timely, right. And um, if they kept a similar stable of writers and directors and actors, it's going to be good. Right in addition to being timely and important. So uh, keep an eye out on that. That's AMC, and I believe it starts airing uh, this month or next. It's the terror colon infamy. I don't know when it will air. Oh, it returns August 12th. Okay. So next weekend. Soon, right. Uh, so if you haven't seen the first season, I, I do recommend it. But definitely get on this one. You don't need to know what the, happened in the first season mm-hmm. to watch the second season. But given the state of our country, I think the second season will be important. Right. Uh, and and it's going to be good television. So, twofer. So that's it for what I'm going to recommend. You know, all of the things. For all of your extra time. Such as it is, yeah. If, in ca- if, like me, you don't feel like it's safe to leave the house and you need something to take your mind off of that fact, here's some stuff yes. that will just come to you. Leaving the house is becoming problematic these days. So we, I think that's going to do it. Watch Pet Cemetery and uh, listen along next week uh, with us. Agree with us or disagree? Yes. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com or you can find us on the tweeters at latecomerspod, Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash latecomerspodcast. I think. Sure. And that's everything. Mm. I remind you to take your medicine and we remind you better late late than than never. never.